Let's get started. Bottom of the Smash Mountain, Season 1, Episode 29, Oblast! Let's get to the podcast. Happy Monday to all. Also, happy International Women's Day. Shoutouts to my lovely wife, Jen, who felt the need to semi-roll her eyes. I don't know how much of a believer she is in this holiday after hearing that story, but you get it. Want to celebrate the ladies any chance we get. All that to say, thank you so much for choosing to spend part of that with me, or if you're listening to this two years from now, hey, how are things going? (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about Seth Loves to Talk is on Bottom of the Smash Mountain today, so I'm very happy to share this interview with you. I was going to say talk about this interview, but I'm not really going to spend a lot of time doing that. In fact, we should get to this interview right now. Please enjoy. Last minute edition here. The very end of this podcast sounds a little wonky because there was a cutout by Craig, the recording Discord robot. Craig, you need to work with me here. But anyway, please enjoy the podcast interview. (laughs) I'm sorry, Seth. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain. And today I'm so excited to be joined by Seth Loves to Talk, content creator who wears many hats. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. Well, it's an honor for me. You are actually the very first person that I've had on this podcast for an interview where you approached me and said, hey, I've heard your podcast. I liked what I heard. And if you ever be interested, I would love to come on myself. And I and I went, what somebody wants to wait what (laughs) so it's a it's a privilege for me to not only be able to have people on that i ask but now there's someone out there in you that wants to come on to here i i'm really thankful for that too yeah i mean i I was really surprised when you said yes just because i mean i felt like i fit the the theme of the show where i was like i'm this this melee player who i i was very involved in you know the chicago communities in uh, in the New York and Connecticut communities, but I was never notable. I've no notable wins. I've, you know, been friends with a couple of top players in my area and things like that, but I really have no notable impact on the smash scene outside of the people that I interacted with when I was going to tournaments and things like that. So I reached out cause I was like, I'm not very notable, but I do have a lot of stories and, you know, relevant experiences to a lot of the other people that have went on the podcast. And so I had uh, worked with JDMH on a project and I saw the one on the podcast and I just felt like, wow, this is what a, what a funny idea. There are so many people in Melee that are doing things behind the scenes to help grow the community that are really underappreciated, that help grow this grassroots community into something special, which is really inclusive at its best. Uh, and so I just really kind of reached out saying like, hey, I, I would love to contribute to this project just because this is exactly how I view my role in the Smash community. I'm someone that was a part of it, but very much, you know, you'd only know me if you interacted with me. It's not like I'm, you know, a a notable name, like some of the Austin Melee guys or things like that, that have really started kind of blowing up and becoming more popular. It's not a slight at all against you if you're not the (laughs) latest and greatest thing. Uh, 
to anyone who, <clears throat> based off of hearing this conversation, who is interested in coming on and is going to be reaching out to me in a few minutes or whatever, <laughs> I would just say I did not immediately say yes. I think the way that I put it was I want to get to know you a little bit first and we'll, we'll go from there. I'm not directly opposed to it. But I, I think the the best way to go, at least for now, was for me to go, I don't know this person, so I'm not going to automatically say no. I just want to go, can we can we interact a little bit before I say fully yes? I I think I led with maybe, but hey, <laughs> we've had a few conversations leading up to this and gotten to know each other a little bit more. So it's been really cool to do that. And now really excited to hear about your your Smash journey in this interview format. So to start off, I wanted to real quick just touch a little bit on the stuff that you're doing at the moment to sort of give us a landing spot for when we start at the beginning. You have a few different platforms that you're active on, but the one that you wanted to at least highlight to start is your YouTube channel, which is Seth Loves to Talk. It's it's the same way across all platforms, so you'll probably hear that again in the future here as <laughs> yep. we continue on, but that's where you're your best work is you would say is that something that's correct yeah absolutely and so right now i don't actually have any melee content on there but i've been planning a lot of different kind of melee things and uh, figuring out exactly what i want to talk about my youtube channel though is just a place for making videos about what i love i mean that's really the whole point of, of seth loves to talk is that i'm uh i'm someone that loves to kind of go on and ramble about you know why i love a particular thing and get into the nitty-gritty all the details and so my channel has been a place for that. I've had a couple of videos with, uh, you know, bands that I like, like Wolfpack, breaking down, you know, how they got started and why I think they're such a special band. Uh, and then also projects with uh, the creators of the Animal Collective My Girls music video, which was a really fun project. I got a chance to reach out to the creators there, talk to them about how the video came together, get kind of new information about this video that was 11 years old. And to me, at least really iconic and uh, drove me into kind of wanting to make more animations and psychedelic art, things like that. So my channel has tons of kind of different random sporadic topics. It's, you know, not definitely not one particular niche. The niche is kind of what I like. And so I'm just kind of been growing it from there. It's been really a lot of fun. And uh, I've gotten a ton of positive feedback, which to be honest, like I, I knew that I was making entertaining things, but uh, to have other people say, you know, oh, I really enjoyed hearing about this new thing. Uh, that's really been the whole whole point of the channel and to see it grow like that's been great it is really cool that you have something that you're really passionate about and then you make something based on that or or around the concept of it and if you were told by somebody or if you felt pressured to make a video or a project that involves something that you were not as into it just becomes work more or less and you already have a full-time job i'm assuming so why yeah. why do more work on top uh, absolutely of work? and i think a big part of it too is that uh I, I love telling stories or talking about something and so there were things that i would tell the same stories around my friends to new people and you know, whether it was my girlfriend, my, my friends from college, whatever, they would get sick of hearing the same story. Because even if they liked it, they would go, oh, you know, I've heard, I've heard about this thing, you know, three times. And in my head, I thought it would be great if I could just send someone a video and say, hey, this is what you need to know about this weird moment in my life or this topic or whatever it is. And ultimately, what I've realized is just there's so much content out there. Uh, I'm not trying to make content that is necessarily educational on the topic itself it's educational about why i like it or why 
um, it's special to me. And the idea is, you know, if something, if I'm able to properly articulate why something is special to me, then other people could understand maybe why something else is special to them if this same topic is special to them and just kind of get that, you know, feeling of, okay, wh what do I really care about? What do I love? And that's really the whole mission of Seth Loves to Talk is here's what I love. You know, if, if you love it too, that's awesome. But maybe you love something else and something else makes you feel this way. And there can be that feeling of, oh, this guy gets it because even if it's not something that you were specifically into, you can tell, wow, somebody else out there really cares about this very oddly specific thing or just something that there's not a lot of content made around. Maybe I can do that for what I find to be really fascinating or interesting. Absolutely. And I think that's actually why I haven't actually made a video on, on Melee yet is because I, I love Melee. I have so many ideas for what I would want to do. But what I've focused on is what is unique that I can bring? Because there are so many amazing content creators there for Melee right now, whether it's, you know, Turn Down for Walt, Alston Melee, they're all bringing their own unique perspective and voice. And I want to make sure that when I make a Melee video, it's not just um, you know, regurgitation, it's it's actually bringing something that is unique to my experience. And honestly, I think part of going on this podcast is talking about what is unique to my experience that other people will be able to relate to, but uh, is kind of, I think, special to being kind of a no-name player who would just loves to talk. I mean, that's, you know, that's my whole name is Seth Loves to Talk because I do. I just love to talk with people. I'm very social and uh, my Melee career was basically me just befriending people in my scene because I, I just wasn't afraid to go up to a top player and start talking to them. Let's go. I'm sure that some of them were excited about this and others were not as excited. But before we get into that, <laughs> when did Smash first come into your life? What was the origin story for you and Melee? Yeah, so I mean, as a really little kid, like probably, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, um, my first console was a GameCube. I think my first game was NHL 04. I was a big hockey fan. Uh, but I ended up getting Melee, and I remember, you know, looking up how to unlock Luigi and, like, really just being super casual. I loved Kirby, and I, I loved Roy, all the classic kind of beginner tropes. But uh, I, I played with friends. I wasn't, you know, a great player. I don't think I ever beat 100-band Melee, even, you know, stuff like that. And that was kind of smash for me for a while. Brawl came out. I remember playing it with some friends when Brawl came out. And... I didn't really touch the game until college, um, maybe casually with friends, whatever. In my sophomore year of college, though, we started playing kind of just uh, with some friends of mine. We were playing Brawl, and I beat one of my friends who's a very good gamer in general. He's like a top 300 guitar hero player and uh, just is very quick learning at many games. And so I beat him at Brawl in a, a four-person free-for-all where it was just me and him at the end. And he was salty and a little bit mad because I was, you know, making some joke about, oh, you know, I thought you were the best Smash player and whatever. And he goes, <laughs> you need to watch this. And so one, you know, one night that week, we basically sat down and started watching the Smash documentary. And so he showed me the documentary. And basically from that moment on, I was just obsessed with Melee. I thought the documentary was so cool. I immediately started trying to get better at Melee. He played Marth. I picked up Sheik. And so for the first, you know, three or four months, I was just getting absolutely destroyed. I was so, so, so sick of getting destroyed by my friend that I realized I needed to improve. 
And so I really just consumed any media I could. I went home for winter break. And that was probably in the first month of kind of picking up Melee. I went home for winter break and just was consuming any top eights from tournaments, uh, just watching tournament footage, tutorials, trying to, to figure out what tournaments were in my area. And that was really what's kind of started the competitive aspect for me, at least, was I was home for winter break. I went out and picked up a CRT from the from the dump. And I just looked up, you know, tournaments in Connecticut. And thankfully, there was one tournament, uh, Hog, Hall of Gaming, I think. And it was like an hour away. I didn't have a car because I'd sold my car before I'd went to college. And so I messaged one of my friends and was like, hey, <laughs> this is a big ask. Can you drive me to this tournament in Wallingford or wherever it was? It was like 45 minutes away. I'll pay for your gas. I'll pay for your dinner. Um, I just want to go to this tournament. It'll take like, you know, two, two hours, three hours, whatever. I've never been to a tournament before. He drives me. We get there. It's cold. It's, you know, winter break in Connecticut. It's cold. And I, you know, I, I don't know anyone. I have never been to a tournament. I don't know like any sort of etiquette and things like that. And tournament starts. I, I go O2 pretty quickly. But what I noticed when I was there was one of the contestants, uh, competitors, I should say, uh, had Doom as a tag, all caps. And in my head, I'm like, is this an MF Doom fan? And what it turned out was uh, it was two MF Doom fans that were going to UConn at the time, uh, Doom, and then I think Keith's tag at the time was Smoke Two Blunts. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to message these guys and ask them if they're Doom fans. And they ended up being Doom fans. They were in my area, it turned out as well. And that was kind of what launched just my connections in the Connecticut scene. Uh, I, I went to Nebulous in New York City with them. And it was really just a blast to be able to go to these kind of more uh, popular and significant tournaments. You know, my first tournament, my first match at, uh, I should say my first tournament in New York uh, at Nebulous, I played Zangazette, who is, you know, a classic old school Falco. And it was just really, really cool to be like, wow, my first match is against someone that's like very well known in the community, at least in terms of uh, the New York scene and all that. So I really felt like I was just learning a lot really fast, came back to college and started kind of getting better at, uh, you know, beating up on my friend, eventually started, you know, taking a game every once in a while. And from there, it was really just going to tournaments in uh, Northwestern, where I went to school, going to Chicago area tournaments. I ended up kind of befriending some people in the Chicago scene, like Vro, and uh, going to tournaments with him. So it was very, very fast, kind of, at least in my eyes, as, as going from a spectator and just kind of playing Smash casually into, I'm going to tournaments, I'm, I'm playing against top players, and uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've kind of got roots in the scenes, both in Connecticut and in Chicago. But you notice quickly, it's different than other communities where there was an easier way to play online. Like if you would be an Xbox person mm -hmm. or a PlayStation person, you could play online as early as like 2006 or so. And yeah. Melee obviously has that limitation of until the more modern era where Netplay started to become a thing. But this was still in a time where the majority of people who wanted to play Melee would go to either another person's house, have people over, go to a tournament and literally play in person on the same screen. And you're a very social person, probably even back then. And this is probably something that also really appealed to you. Is that correct? Absolutely. So I think my 
love for melee while i loved you know getting better and having that that you know thing that you're working on where you know that you're improving and you you you're confident in your abilities i i think my favorite parts of melee were just once i'd reached a point where my happy place was playing melee it was great to be able to to share that with other people and i think that was really what the catalyst at least for me of kind of becoming less active in the melee scene was just moving away from my friends who were my melee buddies and you know moving to a new place and trying to find new friends i didn't necessarily find melee friends that i was looking to share that kind of late night friendlies until 4 a.m just listening to music playing melee like that was really my favorite part of melee uh and i i really i don't want to say i miss those times i do miss those times it's not that i uh, i'm sitting here kind of waxing and and hoping for them to come back it's more just that those times were uh, I think what I look to capture when I'm with people and obviously in the middle of COVID and all that, it's just so hard to get that same type of, of interaction where, you know, you're with other people, you're hanging out and together though, you are in this moment of just kind of focusing on what's right in front of you. You're not really worried about outside stuff. You're just focusing on like, you know, what sick combo your friends are doing against each other, like what you can improve in, in the next, uh, next friendly and it's just such a fun time. I really love Melee for that. And with being in this moment, it's almost like there's like different kinds of ascending into that place where outside noise or the troubles and schedules of life sort of disappear. It feels like it might be easier for some people to go to a concert or clubbing, I guess, different places where they can find that feeling but for the gamer, what you just described, that's a feeling that a lot of different gamers love to have where they're with close friends or at least people that get why they love the same game so much. And yeah, maybe you have some tunes uh, humming in the background, but or you know, you have all of your favorite snacks and drinks, but when you're just playing and playing and vibing, that you can get to that, you can get to that place. Uh, would you say that you can find that easily in other I was trying to find different ways to describe it like if it were like going to a show or or whatever have you found that to be something that you've experienced elsewhere or have you only experienced that with being in that moment <laughs> 3 a.m playing melee um I have been able to find it elsewhere but I think it's definitely more challenging uh so I think someplace that I found it which is kind of why I've started launching my twitch channel was I can find that when I'm just hanging out with my friends playing music and something that we kind of started doing was just my friends would play music and I would talk on a microphone with a vocal effects box. So I could basically change, you know, and have a robot voice or, you know, make my voice really echoey and, you know, add a, add a double, you know, a double octave blow so that it's super bassy. And I would just kind of talk and just tell stories over the improvised music that they were playing. And doing that felt very similar to that where it was just kind of me and my friends all in a room together focusing on just what's going on as opposed to what's going on outside and so I, i've definitely felt that and that's kind of what i'm trying to, to grow on my twitch channel is that feeling of just being with a group of people and focusing on the current experience that that in the moment feeling as opposed to kind of what everything else that's going on i love that that is because that it can be very hard to find sometimes you know this Absolutely. i know that and i think that for someone who 
is listening to this and and maybe perhaps that's something that is hard for them to find as well it's not just limited to melee like like you said you can find it in a, in a few different places but i think a, a big part of that is being with people that you can sort of trust people that you know that they think well of you you think well of them the homies if you will <laughs> and Absolutely. that can that can be really helpful it's it's not just about being in the moment with yourself but also being in the moment with people that are special around you the environment is so important i think that's really what what melee can kind of bring is just a, a an environment for you and your friends to be able to feel comfortable around each other it's it is being vulnerable i mean it is really just focusing on nothing else but what you want to focus on in that moment not feeling like you need to you know like you need to win every friendly but instead you can focus on playing the way that you feel comfortable playing i mean that's what melee gives you is this kind of creative outlet and that's what really drew me to it was just how much of a sandbox it was for what you wanted to do inside and i think melee can be very it's a it's a very strong barometer for who you are as a person sometimes where it it shows your stubbornness it shows your uh your tendencies and things like that and it also can show kind of your intellect it can show your your thought process it can show your creativity as long as that's actually there inside of you uh i think it's very rare to find a melee player that's incredibly creative that's not actually a creative person you know what i mean you're gonna reflect basically who you are as a person and so if you are boring you're gonna play boring you're not gonna just all of a sudden start playing creatively um unless that isn't deep down inside you and maybe it doesn't show up in your kind of normal life because other things are not able to unlock that but i i do think that there's a lot to be said about you know how you play melee is very similar to you know kind of what you're interested in you know your what what your real personality is like and how long for you did you feel like you could truly express yourself in the game because there is a certain amount of tech skill that you probably should have before you mm -hmm. start to really feel the creativity of your mind being reflected and what your character is doing on the screen or how you play against the other person because it's not just about how the game reflects you it's also how the game reflects your opponent yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I would say that I still don't feel like I'm able to do everything that I want to do. You know what I mean? I, I think I'm someone that at my best, I was, you know, practicing tech skill uh, every day over the summer in, in, in Evanston, uh, sitting on my, my, my mattress on the floor with my CRT in a hot Chicago sublet, just grinding tech skill after I would come back from my, my research, you know, position. And so I even at that moment, you know what I mean? I knew I still had so much to learn. I, I'm still consistently not doing exactly what I want. But once it got to that point of, okay, I'm able to, in my head, make a plan and, and execute most of it. That was where Melee felt like I was really getting unlocked. Where I, I my movement kind of, it's really movement, I think, for me, that once I got my movement to a point where I, I felt comfortable making decisions and navigating and just getting around the stage in a way that felt natural to me of my thought process that made melee feel a lot more fluid a lot more fun and a lot more um decision based it didn't feel like i was kind of panicking all the time it felt a lot more like okay what is my plan i'm in you know i'm coming up from from the ledge i know that i need to you know try to get to center stage how am i going to get there 
as opposed to just saying, oh, I need to get on stage and, you know, hold shield and be safe and, you know, figure out something to do. Uh, so I, I definitely think that there's kind of that base level. You learn the game, you understand your options, but once you understand your options and can at least start executing some of them, that's where Melee turns into this flow chart of, okay, I need to make decisions here. And when I make one decision, that affords me new decisions, but it also takes away others. And that's where you'll start gathering these tendencies of, okay, I really like to, you know, <laughs> up air shine with Falco, even though that's not that great of a move, but I'm going to learn basically when that's actually a good thing, because I really like it. Even if I don't, you know, <laughs> even if that's not really doing a ton, there are times where I just like how it looks, or I like, uh, you know, that it works basically in these weird scenarios that I find myself in a lot, whatever it may be. You sure you're not a top player? Anyone who's listening to this, <laughs> hearing Seth talking about how he can express himself through melee, is coming from someone who, like you said, you you, you probably never beat a top 100 ranked player. Unless, would correct me if I'm wrong. I, uh, no, I never beat anyone that was top 100. I might my like armada number for someone that's top 100 is probably pretty close though because i had a peach in our area uh who was able to take games off of um a top 100 player came i can't remember if it was tof or not however i was able to beat him in a set and that was like in my eyes my biggest like melee win was this was a person who week after week we would play together we'd play friendlies he was better than me he played a character that I hated playing against. I needed to come with a game plan. And I just had to figure out how to play against Peach, a Sheik. And I just wasn't very good at it. And by the end of kind of that summer that I was kind of talking about, I actually was able to take games off of him. And I it eventually took one set. And it was like, that was such a huge moment for me in terms of my personal growth of just being like, wow, I was disciplined. I practiced. It paid off. I did something that I wasn't able to do before. That was a huge thing for me. And so like, that was probably my most notable win for me. It's, you know, against someone that I, I don't think anyone would know, um, know, know his tag or anything like that. But it was just like, for me, my personal growth, like really showed just through that matchup and that, that kind of nemesis, even though this was, you know, a close friend. A nemesis is still really fun, though, even if it's not a top player that that nobody really recognizes. Sorry, Absolutely. even if it's not a top player that people recognize. That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. But that speaks to again, you're you're talking about these these things that you've put deliberate thought into, having game plans, being able to move around to the point where you feel more comfortable in the game through using your controller, and you're not. You're not that 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 top player that everybody knows, but the, this is what melee players have to go through and think about. If you, if you want to actually play better and feel like you can truly control the character that you like to use, be it your main or otherwise, the, the, this is what has to happen. And there's other games out there, and it's not necessarily their fault. They're made to be easier, but melee is not for the faint of heart. If you are in a room where someone knows what they're doing in the game, all of a sudden it feels very one-sided. But mm-hmm. I love how you decided between watching documentary, finding people that also really love the game, and you gave it a chance, you thought, actually, I want to be good enough where I can do what I feel like I want to do with this game. But then with all of that comes the sort of end of the journey, if you will. And it's not the true end, but what I'm referring to is how 
you are not necessarily very active in terms of playing in tournaments or anything as of now. When mm-hmm. would you say that started to turn for you? Yeah, so definitely once I, I left college. I mean, in college, I, w- you know, I had easy access to you know, my, my local college you know, smash club at Northwestern. I was going to tournaments in the Chicago area with the, kind of, you know, the Melee Everyday guys. And so I had a lot of Melee around me. And even when I was just going home to Connecticut, I was going home to Connecticut, seeing, you know, UConn's most blunted, uh, the, the two doubles guys that I, I was talking about, and we were going to tournaments. Uh, and so once I kind of lost those, uh, my college scene, uh, I moved out to Seattle for my, my, my job. I, I didn't get as ingrained in the melee scene just because I was, I was finding friends through other means. And so I didn't have someone to, to go to a tournament with me and kind of help take that initial step. And my family moved out of Connecticut, so I didn't have kind of the ease of access to the New York scene and the Connecticut scene that I had before. Um, so I just kind of lost these people around me that were playing melee. And, you know, thankfully for Slippy and things like that, I'm still able to play with my friends in Chicago and all that now. But losing those people um, really exacerbated, you know, the amount of melee <laughs> that I was playing uh, and really just kind of made it a lot harder to, to feel like I was involved in a scene. And so I, I've, I've went out to a tournament in Washington and I enjoyed it. It was great. But I think for me, at least, you know, the, my favorite part of melee was just playing with friends. So I still play melee out here. I play with my friends, but I'm not necessarily going to tournaments and things like that because my friends aren't necessarily interested in that. And for me, you know, that interaction of playing melee, yes, I can go to a tournament and do that. And I can, you know, I, I can have that feeling of playing melee, but I can also have that feeling playing with my friends and play, you know, eight hours of friendlies with them and just have fun. And so I haven't kind of been as active in tournament scenes just because I haven't been surrounded by people that that's how they want to play melee. And melee can't be the only thing in life so you said that you went up to seattle for a job you obviously since you are a social person you're meeting people at work and you're meeting people in other through other means and so what would you say trying to figure out how to phrase this question well what when did you decide that content creation was something that you would be interested in doing obviously youtube is the thing all these social media platforms and you want to put your own stuff out there. When was that something that you started to take real steps towards doing? Yeah. So I'd always, I'd made videos in in high school and things like that. I'd made Halo 3 montages. I was really big into Halo 3. Um, I have a question for you. I got to write it down. Okay. I was going to say it it was, it's very funny because it was very similar to my melee career where I was kind of no one. I was just some kid. And I think what really got me into Halo 3 was I saw HLG, Hidden League Gaming. I think it was a channel called Hidden Masters that was kind of the first one. But they would basically get a lead in a game. It would be like four to three. And then everyone on the team would hide. And they had these really innovative and interesting hiding spots. And they would just hide the rest of the game. And I thought it was such a funny idea. It was kind of trolly. Like looking back, I can see it's like very trolly. And you're kind of griefing this other team. However, in the moment, I was just like, wow, I've never seen anyone do this. I'm interested in this. And there were a couple other kind of groups that popped up. And I, I just messaged people and started playing with these people. And from there, I ended up kind of meeting montage makers. And I, I ended up playing with like Halo 3 pros. I'd play with Snipe Down and things like that, even though I was not that great. You know what I mean? I could hold my own enough to not be like kicked out of a lobby. But like, you know, I, I wasn't a pro. I was just some kid. 
And so I, it's really funny to me looking back at, you know, how that experience mirrored it. But that really got me interested in making content, making montages and learning how to edit. I kind of fell off a bit. I was making, you know, Call of Duty commentaries and things like that. I was making, you know, getting made fun of at school by my, you know, peers that didn't really get it. And we're just kind of like, you know, why, why are you talking about your video game highlights? And, you know, uh, so I kind of had stopped. I go to college and, you know, all these people around me are doing creative things with improv comedy and things like that. And I was just kind of like, wow, I really wish I, I had a, the right outlet for this. I think that I'm funny. I like telling stories. I like doing this stuff, but I don't really know how to present it. I'm much more of an in-person entertainer than I am um, at making something kind of performative. And so what I ended up kind of doing last year was like, well, I'm sick of telling stories that, you know, my girlfriend's heard six times just because there's a new person that needs to hear it. And even if I, I enjoy that, I need to have a more permanent thing for this because I'm not just going to want to keep telling these stories over and over, you know, talking about these memories. And that was really what kind of got me into, okay, what can I do? And it was like, what, what even is it what, that I'm interested in? You know what I mean? What, what would my channel be? And I wrote down just a bunch of ideas and I realized that there was absolutely no connective tissue between any of them. It was all just things that I like. And it hit me of like, you just love to talk. Like that's the end of it was that you just love to talk and it doesn't matter about what, like I, I just love to talk. And so I was kind of like, okay, I think that should be the channel. Like it should just be Seth loves to talk because the reality is like, we're all our own people. And the content that I was consuming was other people telling unique stories. That's people like John Boys, who does, you know, wonderful. If you haven't checked out John Boys, really check out John Boys. He's just one of the best at making interesting information about a topic that even if you like it, you're not familiar with anything about it. And he's going to present something totally new to you that you're just going to, by the end of it, you'll feel like you're an expert on this random thing. He does videos on sports in general, but some of his best things have been, you know, talking about why the name Bob has been on a decline in sports, where it's such a random topic that even if you're a sports fan, you're just going to learn something new. And so I really just kind of took stuff like that, summoning salts videos, for example, all these deep dives into very specific niches where it's like the best content is not made. The best content is made by people that are incredibly passionate about what they're talking about. And so for me, that was just this kind of flashing light of like, if you're passionate about something, make a video, do it, right? Like that, that will be good because as long as you're enjoying it, you're having a good time, other people will enjoy it too. And I think that's kind of like my advice for people that are like, I want to get into this stuff is that if you're enjoying it and you're a part of a community that you think it will fit, go for it. Like that's kind of my thing right now is I don't necessarily have a single community. I, I'm talking about all these different things. And my best videos have been when I've been able to, you know, show that video to a community. I made a video on Wolfpack and, you know, much like most of my other videos, it had like 500 views. Meanwhile, I posted it to a Wolfpack Facebook group and it, it started hitting the YouTube algorithm and went to 50,000 views. And that to me at least said, okay, when you actually are, you know, making a video in a, in a community and you have a community to, to support your work, as long as, you know, people can tell that you are an authentic member of their community and you're able to give your perspective on it, other people will enjoy it. I love that. So have you seen, 
the reason why I got excited when you said Halo Three is because there's one, sure. there's one Halo piece of content that I remember vividly watching and think it was hilarious. It's probably aged very poorly, but it's called Master Chief Sucks at Halo Three. It was on the Machinima YouTube channel. Do you remember this? Uh, isn't that a digital fear? Uh, it's um, uh, it it wasn't. What, was it him sitting on the couch with the controller? It was like Arby and the Chief, I think, right? Something like that. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? It was like a like a Master Chief figurine playing with a controller. Yes. Isn't it like the Rafflecopter swa swa swa? That's yes. part of Arby and the Chief, but I think that that what you're talking about is like a, a single bit from it. I'm probably butchering it, and there's someone that if there's someone listening that liked Halo Three content is probably like you know raging about us getting it slightly wrong, but. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just lapped up, up all of that Machinima stuff when I was a kid. I thought Arby and the Chief was amazing. I loved Red versus Blue and things like that. I was really amazed, and Halo 3 was my introduction into making video game content and making things from the video game that weren't necessarily just playing the game. It was telling a story, and it, to me, at least, felt very revolutionary because I was like, wow. There are people that are able to make a video about how good they are at the game. They're able to make a video using the game as a story. I've seen people make videos that were, you know, creating new sports like Griffball, right? Things like that. And as a kid that was into sports, that was into games and all this, it was really just this like, wow, a game can be so much more. You said that you like to think that you have a sense of humor, and I would agree with that. But I... Anytime I someone try. mentions that they think they're funny, I always have to ask, can you tell us a joke? Wow. What a question that I wasn't <laughs> even prepared for. I'm can sorry. I tell us a joke? I always have one loaded up. So I, I just feel like, you know, uh, if I ever dare to say to a room or to another person, oh, yeah, I think I'm pretty funny. Like, you know, I, I prefer to have the knowledge that I can back it up. Okay, I, I think what I'll do instead is I'll tell a story. That feels more authentic to me because while I do have, I feel like I used to have jokes that I could pull out for this, but none of them come to mind. And I feel like what I'd rather tell is like a quick story. Go for it. So I'm, I'm a big Dota 2 fan as well. And I moved out to Seattle. And the first week that I moved out to Seattle happened to be the International 7. This was, you know, the International is, is Dota 2's biggest tournament, and every year it sets a new record for prize pool. And so my friend Aaron, who, you know, same guy that got me into Melee, you know, Guitar Hero Wizard, we both picked up Dota around the same time. Um, he had a month head start on me. He's so much better than I, I ever was. So Aaron comes out to Seattle. We go to the International. We don't have tickets. We're just sitting out on the, in, in the, the lawn of Key Arena and watching all the matches on this like uh, giant projector they've got. It's awesome. And in college, you know, we were trying to decorate our apartment, and so we, we needed something cheap, and so we looked up flags, and we were looking up like the funniest flags. And we found this one, and I'm going to totally butcher the name. It's Dinepechprovesk Oblast in Ukraine. And it's just this little region in Ukraine that has uh, a really dripped-out Cossack on the bottom left of the flag, with a couple of stars and things like that. It just looks absolutely insane. And I, I bought the flag after finding a cheap one because the first one I could find was only like, it was like $100, it was super nice and embroidered. And I was like, this is not worth $100. I'm gonna put it up on the wall of my apartment. 
So I eventually found like a cheap one, like, you know, three months later. And I just had this flag for no reason. And it's gone with me everywhere since. But we're going to the Dota 2 tournaments and there's a there's a team from Russia and from, you know, they've got Ukrainian players. They're, they're you know, uh, they're, they're CIS based. And I was like, Aaron, wouldn't it be funny if we took the Dinopetrovesk Oblast flag and got it signed by some of the Ukrainian players? And so we take the flag, we take a pen, and we're just waiting for our chance. We're just waiting. And we finally, on like the final day of the tournament, Virtus Pro, who was one of the best teams at the time, had gotten knocked out. And one of the players, Lil Hardy, was Ukrainian. And I see him. And I'm like, Aaron, this is our chance. Like, I grab our bag. Like, I grab the flag. And I just run over to this guy. And like, I run over to him. And I'm like, Lil, Lil, hey, like, big fan. And I pull out this fucking flag. <laughs> and he looks so confused. And I'm like, can you sign this? And he's like, what is this? And I'm like, Dinipet Provesk, Oblast, Oblast. And he's like, what? And I'm just, I, I, not knowing what either of these words mean, only knowing that the region is called, you know, that the flag is Dinipetrovesk Oblast, just start shouting Oblast because I don't know how to say Dinipetrovesk. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, well, if I say Oblast, it's going to make more sense. So I'm just like, Oblast, Oblast, like looking at the flag, like shaking it in my hands. And he's just getting more and more confused. And I'm just like, can you sign my flag? And he's like, why do you have this? And I'm just like, Oblast, Oblast, Oblast. <laughs> and so he takes the flag, he signs it. He looks so fucking confused, hands me back my pen and the flag. And I walk away and Aaron asks me, he's like, do you know what it means? And I'm like, no, I don't. And so we looked it up. Dinapetrovesk is like the, the region itself. Oblast just means county. Like, so I basically just ran up to a Ukrainian guy with a flag not knowing any Ukrainian and just shaking a flag at him, being like, will you sign my flag? County, 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 county. And <laughs> it just really hit me of like, God, that must have been the weirdest experience for Lil. I have no idea what he thinks that was about and whether or not he thinks I'm just an absolute psychopath. <laughs> I'm surprised that he just didn't, well, more or less say, okay, you can go buzz off now. <laughs> yeah, like I was so really surprised that he signed it. Because he was just like, what? Why do you have this? And I was just like, Oblast, Oblast. And it was like, I can't imagine if someone ran up to me and was like, will you sign this and had like a Washington state flag and then just started shouting, state, state, state. Like, <laughs> it would just be insane. You know, honestly, I, I forget like, that each state has its own flag. Oh my gosh. That would be, that would be weird. Cause like somebody would theoretically bring me about like 45 different state flags from the United States, show it to me. And I'd be like, uh, I've never seen this flag before in my life. It's not even just states. We have city flags. So there's a wonderful piece by Roman Mars. Who's got a podcast. I believe it's called 99% invisible. That's uh, kind of about these little design things that you don't notice. I think he does things like, um, the popularity of traffic circles and um, signage in certain places. But one of the, the episodes he has, I think it was like a live TED talk, was about flags and, and vexillology. And that's the study of flags. The only reason I know this is from that, that video. But um, he goes through the design of city flags because city flags are often shitty. That's the best way to put it. There are very few recognizable city flags. I'm sure there is one that you, you can remember off the top of your head, which is actually nope. the Chicago flag, right? Nope. No? Okay. The Chicago flag, <laughs> I, at least I think, is like pretty recognizable. It's got like you know four stars on it, um, blue and white stripes. It's at, at least when you're in Chicago, you see the, the city flag all the time. 
It's the only city that I've seen it. I couldn't tell you what the New York New York City flag is like, um, the San Francisco flag, whatever. But the Chicago flag is like a really good example of it. And I've the never video seen is this flag before in my life. You've never seen it before? Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I, I, you're from the Midwest too, right? Am I crazy? No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa. No? Okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, if I made you think that, that's my bad. But no, I actually no, no, no. hail from the Northeast. I am a Pennsylvania resident. Living ah, Lancaster okay, County. okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Right, actually, I, I, okay, I do remember that. I know JDMH is from, uh, is, is from Ohio, so I wasn't, uh, I was conflating. Toledo, um, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, and so the the video is really wonderful because he basically goes through how some of the worst city flags were made and why they are so bad. Um, it's a great video if you want to understand what makes a good flag and why having a Cossack in like a drippy robe is probably not the best flag overall, but it is one of the funniest. Oh, I'm looking up. So I, I just said that I, I live in Lancaster County and mm-hmm. we have the, the biggest place or town it's actually a city it's called lancaster city and i'm looking at this flag right now and one of the cool things about lancaster county is that one of our more recognizable logos or insignias if you will is a red rose because that's the origination of britain where they have lancaster and a territory called york as well and there's a county right next to us that's called york as well so they have the white rose we have the red rose and our flag for the Lancaster City flag is absolutely just terrible. They take this wonderful rose idea, which should be awesome and look cool, and it is not. So, rip. Like you said, a lot of flags seem to kind of miss the mark, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's something that... uh, (laughs) There's a lot of need for design in our lives, and there's (laughs) not necessarily a lot of designers. Is that going to be you, Seth? Are you going to work on the Washington State flag or Seattle flag? I like the Washington state flag. See, that's a great example. I have no idea what the Seattle flag looks like. I, I, I could not tell you. And you want to look it up while you talk. I'll look it up. I am going to, I'm going to look it up. Seattle flag, the Seattle flag. Ooh, this is interesting. Honestly, this is one of the more, more interesting flags I've ever seen in my life. I think it's got, yeah, a, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to understand what it is, but to those who are listening, yeah, it's, I feel it's bad. Difficult being to describe. It's kind of like a, a pentagon made of two wrapping uh, wrapping snakes with kind of like a wave on the top left. And I was going to say, it just seems to be water that's surrounding what appears to be, a, well, it's a person looking to the left and it just says City of Goodwill, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yep. But like the theme for, for me, since it's a blue flag with white, it's, it's just water. And uh, snakes, I, I didn't, I didn't see that. You're the one seeing that. That's interesting. I was snake just thinking just water. A, uh, you know, a, a thin, wispy, twirling type of uh, like it's more like ribbons, I guess, would be a, a better way to phrase it. I don't know. I, I'd have to read more into it. It was made in, or sorry, it was adopted in 1990. So maybe the person who designed this is still around and could explain themselves. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, it's it's really funny kind of diving into these local histories. That's something that, like, why I really admire John Boyce's work is that he goes through tons and tons of local newspaper documents and really hunts down information. He's got a actually a really good video on Seattle. It was a documentary that he released uh, in 2020 about the Seattle Mariners. It's like a three-hour piece where 
he's going into the history of the Mariners from their inception until basically their their tragedy. Uh, well, they've always been tragic was really the point, but uh, the kind of general tragedy that surrounded the, the the franchise kind of since the '90s. But it's a uh, it it's really admirable that there is all this information and that you just kind of have to find it. Um, you know, we forget that every kind of it's hard basically to go 10 feet in America without finding a story and that there's a story in there somewhere. You just, uh, you don't necessarily have access to that information, but there's a, a lot of history in, in, in this land. And it's very, it's very quickly kind of fading uh, if, if you're not looking for it. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. What to you would be something that if someone were to say to you, what are you going to work on next in regards to, a piece of history of niche history what's a what's a time period that fascinates you or that you would want to find a story to tell in either your youtube or otherwise that's a good question i mean as far as kind of a physical like one-stop piece of history i think that i'm just pulling up my uh my list of ideas right now because it's it's hard to like I, I don't necessarily kind of focus on history like that. I focus on a moment. I think I'm much more interested in moments of in time. Because when I'm telling a story, I think I like to break down kind of everything that's surrounding um, that moment, everything that made it feel a certain way for me. What what was important basically for the context for me. So if I had to kind of look at like a piece of history or some sort of moment like that, hmm. I think something that I've wanted to do a lot has been um, one of my, my favorite bands, Wolfpack, did a concert at MSG. And I talked about it in my video a little bit, but that concert was really incredible to me because it was an independent band selling out MSG with very little advertising. As in, it was all done from the band themselves. They didn't pay any agencies, nothing like that. There was no, you know paid advertising it was just you know promo from their social media from you know making videos making songs whatever it is and i think that that's actually a very pivotal moment in our current climate of kind of the power of all of these independent and internet presence based things um i think we're kind of quickly approaching a time where having an internet presence is more important than ever i mean especially in, in quarantine I think about this a lot just for promoting my, my, like what I'm doing. I'm not, I often don't tweet about what I'm doing. And so I'll make something and like show my girlfriend, show my friends. And then a couple days later, I've realized that no one else has any idea that I've made this thing. And it's so important, especially given how hard it is to see people to actually have this internet presence as, Hey, you know, this is something that I'm making. This is what I'm doing. And finding that kind of healthy balance between uh, <laughs> here's a, a, you know, the extremes of my life. This is not what my life is usually like, uh, but still sharing with people what you're doing and, and, you know, what you're up to. I like that. It's, it's hard for me because when I think about sharing the podcasts that I make, I think, well, uh, it's a very overwhelming process or, prospect of getting into all these different social media platforms so for now it's just twitter but mm -hmm. i see people promoting 
their work and their content everywhere. And I go, oh, the, the, the time that you must have blessings to you, I mean, more power to you. But I think that that's something that, that anyone who's making something and they, they want other people to hear it, it's not like I'm so desperate that I need people to listen to this podcast that are like, I'm just like, more people, more people. Like, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. But I also yep. do want to be cognizant of also going, you know, it's helpful for people to at least know that I'm doing it. I can't just assume that people are looking up very specific words that are going to somehow magically lead them to, to my podcast, right? Exactly. So, yeah, that makes sense. And I like hearing that you have ideas that you have cooking in the back burner. Have you ever had a video concept idea? And I think the answer is no, but I was curious where you have a concept idea written in your notes and then you somehow find out that within a certain period of time, somebody's actually made a video on the very thing you were thinking of doing. Hmm. That's a great question. I haven't had that exact experience of like, well, now my video is redundant, but I have definitely made videos that are similar to things other people have made. For example, you know, Wolfpack, there's another Wolfpack kind of like, I think it's called the Wolfumentary. And so there is definitely kind of similar content in these niches. Um, I, I did a, that the John Boys video about one of John Boys's pieces. And I, very soon after that, there was a really wonderful video about kind of how John Boys uses Google Earth to make videos. And it was something where I was like, oh, I wanted to do a video on this, but this person did it and it's wonderful. And it's like, I don't, you know, I don't need to do this basically. I don't need to uh, figure that that process out because someone else has kind of filled this niche. So I haven't in the, in the middle of the process kind of found a video um, redundant, but I have had ideas kind of that have been like, Oh, what if we did this? And then it was like, ah, someone's already done this. Like, you know uh, even just something as simple as uh, there's a guy on, on YouTube named John boy, uh, John boy media. And so he does uh, baseball breakdowns where he'll take clips from baseball and, uh, kind of break down all the little subtle nuances, like what the managers are yelling at the umpires or, you know, uh, some funny thing that a player's doing or a fan in the stands. And I thought it was a great idea. And I really enjoyed watching them. And I was making some of my first videos on my channel were kind of replicating that style for basketball. And as John Boy has gotten bigger, more and more people have asked for him to move to other sports. And so he started doing breakdowns on basketball things. And so once that he, he kind of started breaking out into other sports. It was like, well, what I'm providing is no longer unique. You know what I mean? The master is kind of already handling it. So effectively, I was like, okay, I need to, you know, if I'm going to do a breakdown, it needs to be on something slightly different. It can't just be kind of replicating that style. That's, that's redundant at this point. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, either covering, a, a, you know, sports that he's not covering if I was to do a breakdown or focusing on something maybe a little bit more niche. Water polo. Hey, you know what? I think he's got a. Uh, no I don't way. think it's a water polo video. It's it's underwater <laughs> hockey. Oh, he, he does oh, a, so a breakdown cool. on underwater hockey. Some of his best ones are honestly showing these really really unique sports. He's got a couple that are uh, gnarly is the best way to put it. One of them I think is with a, I believe it's a Turkish sport, but I'm not 100 percent positive about that. Um, where you basically have a dead goat and two uh, wells on opposite sides of an arena. And your goal is to get the dead goat into the well and everyone's on horses. So you are what? riding it actually. Okay. Okay. It, it might be Mongolian. 
Oh. I think it's Mongolian because that's why it's horse based. Is that they're just nasty at horse riding? But basically, it's like <laughs> they it's only like, play during thunderstorms. How much crazier can this it, get? It, 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 it is incredible to watch. Like people get just destroyed by these horses, and you you can get off the horse to like pick up the goat and then get back onto the horse. It's insane. I mean, people are getting hit by horses. They're getting hit by the dead goat. Like, I just, it, it was mind-blowing to watch. I think it's called, like, Buskashi or something like that. That might have been a different random sport, but I think it's that one. Sorry to any listeners who have a particular fondness of goats. I mean, that... Yeah. <laughs> that's, but the, to me, that sounds awesome conceptually. I think I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to send it to you after. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. So... In all of this, and this is something that we talked a little bit about before we started recording, is mm-hmm. about the recording equipment, the stuff that you use to make your content. I was curious about where you tell the line between cost and production and then y- using money that you've earned for other things, paying rent, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, at least, my priority on, on getting gear has been making sure that it'll be future-proof in some way. So whether that means that if I buy a microphone, I'm not going to be disappointed with the quality of the microphone. Maybe I get a better microphone, but I can still use that other microphone for something else, for example. So I bought a Shure SM57, uh, which is a fairly, I think, affordable microphone for uh, being a, you know, kind of standard like XLR input microphone. Um, I bought a Focusrite uh, Scarlett Solo interface, which uh, has done great so far. I've really kind of enjoyed having an interface that lets me both have uh, a microphone input as well as plugging in instruments. I play guitar and bass and things like that. So uh, it's very dual purpose for me at least. Uh, and then other than that, I really don't have much. I mean, I uh, I, I record in my closet when I <laughs> when I need to record voiceover for my videos. I, I basically move all of my my shirts and things like that into a corner and just set up a little stool in my closet so that I've got a nice you know, reverb free area. Uh, I'm using my bedroom right now for recording this just because my, my office is a little bit, a little bit echoier. Um, I upgraded my computer recently, but I was was doing that off the funds of uh, editing for beyond the summit for some Dota two content. Um, So my best advice at least is just whenever you do get something, make sure that either you'll be able to uh, if you outgrow it, either use it for something else or replace uh, kind of one of the parts, you know what I mean? I have a, an interface so that, you know, if I want to get a nicer microphone, I get a nicer microphone. I don't need to buy an interface then or whatever it is. Um, that was kind of, I think, at least a reason for me why I moved away from like a USB microphone was that, you know, I can uh, kind of make sure that the, the quality of my equipment can kind of only go up. I'm not limited by um, kind of a, one piece of the technology. My, so I'm not using... For those who are interested in what I'm doing for interviews specifically, iPhone data off of that and Apple headphones. Yeah. But when I when I record other parts of this podcast, I use a Samsung Q2U, I believe it's called, and it's a USB XLR combo microphone. Mm. So I can kind of sort of upgrade if I decide to use an an more official audio interface, like sure. a little, like I picture it as a little tiny box that you plug yep. into the computer and then you plug the mic into the box is that, that more is, or less what it is all it is yep i'm looking at my, <laughs> my red little box right here um yeah i mean i think that there's i, I just want to comment quickly on the on the iphone thing which is that 
iPhones are wonderful. I, I made a, a whole series with my house where we made a fake Olympics, basically. Uh, we called it the Avatar Olympics because we had four people in the house. Each of us had a different birthday. that corresponded to a different avatar and so we we made an olympics that was avatar themed and the entire thing is shot on iphones and it looks great i use phone for my stream for capturing my face for my vtubers that i've made like an iphone is an incredibly incredibly twitch on youtube uh, i also have a website that right now that just points to my youtube channel uh, kind of in the future, I'll have some to uh, to help out. And then uh, I also like to edit. So I, like I said, I edit for a couple of YouTubers, for example, Automated, who makes some uh, Minecraft content as well as uh, coding content where he's basically doing um, mods for games like Among Us, um, you know, creating apps or programs, things like that. Uh, so if anyone kind of is interested in an editor and wants to have something uh, you know, for cutting out VODs, doing whatever, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to, to talk about that. And then um, I think that's kind of the extent, honestly. I mean, yeah, definitely my, my YouTube, my Twitch, and my, my Twitter are the kind of three places that you'll find me. Um, got different content on each and uh, definitely need the, uh, need the Twitter followers. I've got a small Twitter audience right now. But growing every day, hopefully. And growing every day. Yeah, I love that. And part of that is the continual engagement the intention span of all of us we're all we're all really susceptible to just moving on quickly but being constant that helps yep that's the hardest part for me i definitely go days where i'm like oh i haven't done anything on my twitter i need to need to say something i need to share something i've made you know but also self-care also self-care very important absolutely absolutely before i let you go (laughs) you said avatar last airbender i love Mm -hmm. that show yeah it's great can you give me an awesome moment or a character that you particularly enjoyed from the Atlas series? I think that my favorite... Okay, so I'm actually... Okay, can I talk about Korra? Yes, you may. Absolutely. Okay, so I really loved in... I guess it's season two, uh, the spirit world of Korra. I thought that the spirit world as a concept and like seeing I, I guess i like i iroh is my favorite character probably across everything um and so seeing iroh in the spirit world being happy and being able to conquer the mental aspects of the spirit world which is effectively that your surroundings are decided by what you perceive them as was incredibly powerful to me that felt very important for me to remember especially in quarantine of if you have a negative outlook on everything around you, then it is going to be negative and it's going to be hard to, to climb out of it and you're going to get lost. But if you are a lot more positive and you're finding the bright side, you're, you're looking at the best parts of people and the best parts of yourself, that that is very powerful and can lead you to better places. Seth, you had me in the first half, not going to lie. You, you mentioned Cora. I'm like, okay. You mentioned book two. I'm like, okay. But then you made it so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Seth, thank you so much for being on Bottom of the Smash Mountain with me. The people will find you because I'll share links to your socials and such. But it's all Seth loves to talk. If you look that up, you're going to get all the Seth that you could ever ask for. But thank it's you so much Seth for being on. Talk all the way down. Yeah, thank you, Jesse, for having me. This was a really great time. I, I, it was awesome. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition.
I suppose it's only natural that you are still here because you're interested to know whether or not I'm going to own up to the mistake that I made, the incorrect prediction that I made about the Four Loco fight night. I was wrong. None did not win the event. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel bad. None did not even make it to day two. I somehow feel like I'm I'm the reason for that. I don't know. None, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was a good tournament. It was really fun to watch. I was able to catch a little bit of day one and most of day two, at least most of top eight. And top eight was this. Zane, S2J, Kalamazoo, and Moki made up the top eight winner's side. And then down in the loser's side, it was Wizrobe, Hungrybox, Mook, and Aklo. Now, if you don't know who Mook is, don't feel bad. Not a whole lot of people did before this weekend. But I just want to say right now, Mook, I, I knew who you were. I listened to your Wannabes podcast. Shout out to the Wannabes podcast interview that you did a while back and i also knew about you from the Hax's nightclub season two opener a little while back in january where you had a great performance there as well shout outs to jay mook getting fifth ish place at this tournament beating a lot of good players including none actually beat none in the winner's side to advance through the bracket Got knocked into losers just before top eight, but Jay Mook went on a nice run before finally getting eliminated by Moki. But the big story is who won the tournament. And even though Zane is someone you were expecting to win this event, he did not win it in a way that you would necessarily expect. Zane had probably, at least according to Zane in the interview afterwards with Chillin' Dude and Vish, had not really had a loser's run quite like this, where Zane was in the winner's semis round, the start of top eight, but lost to S2J and had to fight all the way through losers the rest of top eight to get back to grand finals in the rematch against S2J and won the first set 3-0, the second set 3-1 to take the event. So congratulations to Zane, GG's to everybody. And it was almost the rigged thing because S2J is sponsored by Beast Coast. Beast Coast is the organization that ran this event. It was really well done. I loved all the in-between sets. Like, uh, I don't want to say infographics. Oh, that's such the wrong thing to say. This is how my mind works sometimes, by the way. But the advertisements for Four Loco, where they had animated Captain Falcon, Fox, and Falco stuff. That was awesome. I just love the little things like that. And it makes it so much more entertaining, I would say. So it was a great event overall. And even though there were some secondary shenanigans, even a little bit of Linklo, which, by the way, love Linklo. Shout-outs to Aklo, the, the player. Aklo plays as Link sometimes, so hence Linklo. Now you get it. Anyway, it was a really fun event to watch, and I'm looking forward to the next major, which is actually coming up here shortly. It is the Gallant Melee Open Spring Edition. That's in the middle of March here. It's uh, March 19th through the 21st, I believe. Although I should have looked at the calendar, I did not 
but I'm going to talk about Gallant Melee Open Spring Edition closer to the time, so don't worry. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you'll know. I'll get the dates right for sure, but I am pretty sure that it's that it is March 19th through the 21st. And just to make myself feel okay about posting this, it is March 19th through the 21st. I just confirmed that, so there you go. I also want to give a shout-out to an amazing article written weekly on Mondays called Monday Morning Marth by Edwin Budding, part of the Melee Stats podcast crew. If you go on Twitter and look up Edwin Budding or Melee Stats podcast, you'll find the Twitter handles and you can read those articles to catch up on the happenings of the week, be it tournaments or a lot of discussions that have sort of popped up about melee specifically edwin covers it all so shout outs and i'm an avid reader i retweet the article as it comes out every monday so you know big fan <laughs> I'm, a, I'm apparently only a big fan because of retweeting it no i'm a big fan because they're well written and they are very informational edwin is not too quick to say this is totally a thing or this is totally not a thing very measured and very informational. I feel super educated and also highlights things not happening in the U.S. So obviously us U.S. people are tempted to only focus on U.S. Melee. But if you read Leffen tweets where Leffen says, I'm sick and tired of being counted out in these discussions for best in the world. I'm sick and tired of being stuck in Europe. Almost makes me want to quit Melee, but I'm not going to quit Melee. Let's go Leffen. Leffen, I'm see you over there kind of you get it i've watched some of those events that have happened on the europe side of things and edwin is great to point out not stuff just like that in europe but in today's article of monday morning marth edwin was highlighting an event that was happening in the south america region where there was all kinds of cool stuff happening off the top of my head i'm struggling to remember who won the tournament but the name that stuck out to me was dark Dark is an old school player, I guess, and has started competing again recently. But the point is, is that you, you understand what I'm saying here, where there's all kinds of stuff happening, not just in North America, but also in South America, in Europe, in all the other parts of the world, you know, Japan, China, Russia, you know, the whole thing. I'm rambling now because I don't have the article in front of me and I don't want to be so quick to, to try and do like a paraphrasing summary that's that's not paying any justice it goes from a shout outs to a an insult practically i don't want anyone from melee stats podcast to come after me and say you know you did just about as bad of a job trying to highlight something good as we've ever heard in our entire lives don't talk about us again <laughs> so i will I'll stop talking about it for now. But the point is, you should go and read those articles. Please support Melee Stats Podcast. All right. Did I say enough? I think I went over the Four Loco Fight Night pretty extensively. And I don't really have a lot to add right now. But please stay tuned. We have a lot of cool interviews coming up this week. And Season 2 is approaching of this podcast where I've sort of talked about this enough. I think I'm comfortable saying it again new artwork, new music, as in no longer will you hear a Sprite soda can opening and pouring one out. No longer. And no offense to my daughter, Ellie, my lovely daughter, Ellie. Shout outs to her. She sounds great in the outro, but 
we're going to do official music and an official artwork for the podcast so you can look at that picture while you're listening to <laughs> it just it is going to look more professional that's the point so we got stuff like that happening and other stuff happening too so i'm really excited about all those things but for now we'll see you next time no we will not this is a podcast and i always want to say see you next time or or something like that but it's more of we'll talk next time and we'll ho- we'll hope that you tune in and you're not even too (sighs) I need to come up with like an official outro something that I can constantly say where I don't feel like I just should really stop talking and you know actually that's a good spot let's just stop talking what does the cow say good job what does the kitty cat say good job what does the doggy say good job can you say linguistic specialist? Okay. Good job. That was a good try. Can you say outside? Do you want to go outside? Okay. Okay. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.